The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Two steps forward, one step back. Futures now pointing to a sharply lower open after yesterday's relief rally. This says stocks look to cap off their worst first half of the year since the Nixon administration. Oil also deep in the red as the White House weighs suspending the federal gasoline tax through the summer months. U.S. crude prices now below $105 this morning and falling. On Capitol Hill, investors are expecting fireworks when Fed Chairman Jay Powell testifies before the Senate Banking Committee defending his decision to initiate the biggest interest rate hike in three decades. Former Fed Governor Roger Ferguson is here to weigh in. Plus, crypto joining the risk-off trade this morning after yesterday's rebound. Bitcoin hovering right around that $20,000 mark. And then later, Shopify's big loss, Spotify's big loss is Amazon's gain as the company's Audible service inks a lucrative deal with two of the world's most popular podcasters. It is Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to the show. I'm Dominic Chu and for Brian Sullivan this morning, let's kick off the Wednesday with breaking news out of Washington, D.C. and President Biden officially calling on Congress to suspend the federal gasoline tax. Our Eamon Javers is standing by with those details. Eamon, what can you tell us about those particular moves that we are seeing? Good morning, Dom. What we know right now is that President Biden is going to call on Congress to suspend that gasoline tax. Remember, it's 18.4 cents a gallon through September. So for all of the summer driving months, the president is going to ask Congress to suspend that tax. Here's what we know about the president's plan as of right now. He's going to call for the federal gas and diesel taxes both to be suspended for three months. He's requesting states to suspend gas taxes or find similar relief. He's asking industry to put their, quote, record profits to work, unquote. Uh, He's calling on retailers to lower their prices. Remember, that's an 18 cent per gallon tax on gasoline. It's 24 cents for diesel, so a little bit higher there for truckers and other people who use diesel. Uh, he's calling now for no effect on the highway trust fund. Remember, those gasoline taxes go into the highway trust fund uh, in order to pay for all sorts of infrastructure improvements to the highway system. The president is arguing here, senior administration officials said yesterday, uh, that there's been a record surplus in tax revenue elsewhere in the federal government. And so uh, they can simply repurpose those revenues that are coming in to the highway trust fund so 
therefore we won't lose out on all the infrastructure spending. But remember this, Don, whenever a president is calling for something to happen, that means he doesn't have the power to make it happen. He's calling for someone else to do it. And in this case, he's calling for Congress to do it. We'll see what the prospects are up on Capitol Hill for this, but Republicans have signaled their opposition to it. Uh, we know that at least one prominent Democrat may be opposed to it. Uh, so whether or not the president has the votes will be the next thing people will look for to see if this can actually happen. He's also calling for the states to suspend their gas taxes. We'll see how many states go along with what the president wants. Uh, and he's calling for industry not to simply swallow the profit uh, if they do pass this. And we'll see whether industry would comply as well. So there's a lot of ifs here, Don, but the president signaling he wants that gas tax gone for the rest of the summer. Back All right, Eamon, stay right there. We, we're going to check crude prices right now because they are sharply lower. Uh, this is maybe part of the story behind it right now, alongside of this, this notion that perhaps we have some certain signs of demand maybe falling a little bit, maybe supplies perhaps coming a bit more online. But right now, U.S. crude prices are down north of 4.5%, $104.41. Let's now bring in Energy Aspects Head of Research, Amrita Sen, and Jimmy Pethokoukas, Senior Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He's also a CNBC contributor. Uh, Thank you both for joining us as well. Uh, Maybe because this is the the, the crude is the the focal point of this in gasoline prices, Amrita, we'll we'll kind of begin with you in this next leg of our conversation. Uh, What exactly is behind this? I, I was out this morning. I fueled up right before I got into work. Gasoline prices are definitely lower than they were, markedly so, just over the last week or two. Yeah, and I think prices have already started to come off because you've seen some of the gasoline cracks come off. Uh, And if this measure were to pass, uh, you will actually see pump prices coming off even more. So this by no means is bearish. This will actually stoke demand further um, and is actually bullish for oil. I think the risk of sentiment that you're seeing in the market um, yes, I've also heard from some folks that it's actually linked to uh, Biden's uh, proposal to Congress that, you know, they should be uh, lifting the, the gas taxes, but it's actually the opposite effect. I think it's much more a broader risk of sentiment with regards to recessionary fears. It's still a follow through from the Fed decision last week. And, you know, we are, look, we are seeing some of the CTAs potentially going short right now, um, which means that, again, there's a lot of momentum selling. It's summer liquidity is thin, not a lot lot of traders are around. So you can see some really sharp movements like this during times like this right now. Okay. So, so J- uh, Jimmy, if you look at the, the way this is shaping up, there's, there's a political motivation because inflation by the, by the account of many polls and surveys out there seems to be the number one economic concerns for Americans, even more so than food prices, even more so than rent. How much of this will be something that people consider, voters and whatnot, as we head towards the midterm elections. Well, uh, one of my favorite quotes is from former Treasury Secretary Tim Geithner, plan beats no plan. Uh, But I'm not sure this is much of a plan. Look, if oil prices start going down and uh, the price you pay uh, at the pump starts going down, then then maybe if this should pass, uh, this holiday might have a bit of a, a bit of a tailwind, but it might not. And if demand goes up, there might not be much. There might not be much of a change at all. And then, then the president will look very ineffective. And I don't know if voters will give him lots of credit. And it should be noted, I think, as Eamon was saying, that before, uh, before this, uh, that it seemed likely that he was going to uh, have his gas tax holiday. Congress was pretty negative about this. 
maybe the limited duration, it's not for the whole year, might get some votes. Uh, but again, maybe maybe they'll give uh, Biden pr- uh, credit for trying to do something. But I just don't think ultimately it's going to have a lot of effect unless it gets caught up in a in a broader decline in energy prices. So uh, if we do talk about this kind of broader decline in energy prices, Amrita, you, you kind of laid out the case for why we, we could see perhaps more of a, a rip to the upside. Is this is this more of the kind of commodity super cycle discussion that we've had in the past? I remember the last time we talked about it and the oil prices peaked only to see a precipitous fall. At what point do producers mm-hmm. really have the incentive to say, OK, the prevailing winds politically maybe haven't been in our favor, but this has changed the narrative and we're going to start drilling and pumping and spending more on CapEx? I mean, look, the reason that producers are not spending or drilling more, they are, by the way, but it's even more, you could argue, um, is really nothing to do with oil prices. I mean, at these price levels, profits, even after returning cash to shareholders, is enormous. But there are some real um, on-the-ground constraints, whether it be labor, steel. Instead of waiting for 10 days, now they have to wait for 180 days. But I think it doesn't help that the president has been pointing fingers uh, at the industry about record profits because this industry was also in the red for the last few years. So, and, and now there's been a lot of pressure from investors, I'm not saying governments, but investors, uh, to focus on ESG mandates. So there hasn't been an incentive to drill, right? Um, and there are some severe, severe constraints, even if there are some that do want to drill. Of course, uh, federal land leases hasn't really helped. There's a lot of uncertainty around that. Um, and I think the, the industry is looking to the government for clarification. As you saw with the Chevron letter uh, yesterday, the CEO was very clear in saying, OK, let's work together. Let's not point fingers at one another. OK, Eamon, I, I wonder how much you talk about this idea that, that the, the climate hawks out there, the ones who are pushing the progressive wing in, in our kind of political electorate are, are pushing for things that are combating climate change. They've been very quiet over the last several weeks, if not months now, about what's happening with, with carbon emissions and everything else. Is this shock of what's happening right now? We hope it's going to be shorter to medium term. But is this enough to change the story about whether or not fossil fuels have a future more medium to longer term in the U.S., even if you push towards renewables? Yeah, I I don't think so, Dom. I think there are some short-term politics going on here, but I think ultimately progressives are going to look at this and say fossil fuels have got to go over the long run, and they'll try to do everything that they can to to sort of push us off that path. I'm going to borrow Jimmy's idea of uh, of a quote here. He quoted Geithner. Uh, I'm going to say that in, in politics, often doing something beats doing nothing. And when you're the president of the United States and you've got a significant problem on your hands, like gas prices are for this president, you can't be seen as doing nothing. You have to do something, even if you don't think it's going to be all that effective necessarily. The problem for the president politically, uh, you know, I can see two problems here. One is, you know, there's the potential that Congress rejects him on this uh, and says, we're just not going to go along with it. Some kind of coalition of Republicans and progressives, Republicans who don't want to help out Biden, progressives who don't like the idea of lowering gas taxes. Uh, you know, that, that could be a problem problem politically for Biden and make him look weak. We'll see how that plays out. The other thing is the timing here. You know, the president is proposing doing this until September. And of course, there's a big election coming up in November. And you wonder if Democrats will want to be in a position of now raising gas taxes in September going into the fall election season. That might be awkward politically as well. So there's a lot of blowback potential here for the president. 
But clearly this White House has decided doing something beats doing nothing. Okay, and Jimmy, we're going to give the last word to you here. Uh, is this the right path? I mean, what else can you do if you're this administration with regard to this particular issue of inflation and fuel prices? Is there anything left that can be done besides this perhaps gasoline tax suspension to, to find some relief at the pump? Uh, there's not much. If I was listen, if I, if I was a president, I would focus on other. I would focus on other things. I would focus on getting rid of the uh, uh, the tariffs. Uh, that can be anti-inflationary, and then hope, <laughs> hope hope oil prices come down. You'll get some credit for uh, for lower gas prices, and hope the Fed the Fed works its magic. Other than that, he's he's stuck. There's a lot of hope in that conversation yeah, right there, Jimmy. Yeah. All right, Eamon Javers, Amrita Sen, James Pethokoukas, thank you all for joining this discussion. We appreciate it. Let's now get to some of this morning's other top stories. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good morning. Well, the White House plans to propose a rule establishing a maximum nicotine level in cigarettes and other finished tobacco products in an attempt to make them less addictive. The rule, expected in May of 2023, is aimed at making it easier for tobacco users to quit and help prevent youth from becoming regular users. This follows a proposal from the FDA back in May, which would ban menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars. One capital markets analyst at J.P. Morgan Chase says fund outflows and tightening financial conditions in a key corner of the credit markets have left some big banks with an estimated $2 billion in losses. According to J.P. Morgan, Bank of America and Citigroup are the two with the largest exposure to so-called hung loan deals. According to That's according to a note published yesterday. Leverage loan funds have recently seen their steepest outflow since 2020, with $3 billion exiting in May and another $2 billion through mid-June. For more on this story, head over to CNBC.com. And the International Energy Agency is warning that Europe must prepare immediately for a complete shutdown of Russian gas exports as soon as this winter. Speaking with the Financial Times, the head of the IEA says governments must take measures to cut demand and keep nuclear stations open in preparation as Russia looks to leverage its position in the marketplace as temperatures drop down. Fossil fuel discussions very much front and center all over the world right now. Absolutely. Thank you, Silvana. When we come back on the show, Fed Chairman Jay Powell facing off against lawmakers today in what's likely going to be a very tense hearing on Capitol Hill. Former Fed Governor Roger Ferguson will break down what's to come, plus your chart of the day and investors getting pretty comfortable with one stock that's surging ahead of the open today, up 8% already. We'll tell you what it is after the break. And later on, Sorry, Spotify. Chalk one up for Amazon, inking a lucrative streaming deal with two of the biggest names in the business. If you're watching television right now, we're showing you some pictures. If you're on the radio, you'll have to tune in. we got a very, very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on the U.S. futures picture this morning after a big bounce yesterday for the markets. The Dow and the S&P posting their best day in six weeks. But right now we could be giving a bulk of that back. The Dow is implied lower by 406 points. The S&P implied lower by 61 and 214 point declines for the Nasdaq. Now, with yesterday's gains, the S&P is now down about 21 percent for the year. That puts the index on track for the worst first half of the year since at least 1970, when it was also down around 21 percent. Now, if it ends the first half down more than that, it would be the worst first half since 1962, when the S&P lost almost 24 percent. Let's bring in Seema Shah, chief global strategist at Principal Global Investors. Uh, Seema, the question I get asked a lot, as if I could have the answer and have a crystal ball, is, How much lower could this go? So I'll ask you, the expert, from a strategy standpoint, how much lower could this go? Hi, Dom. It's a really tough um, question to answer. What we can can say is that we think that there will be further declines from here. We're not going to stop at the 22% mark. Um, Remember, a lot of these declines have taken place without actually seeing any drop in the end growth numbers. So this is almost your first leg so far. And then as we start to see the economic data, the earnings growth data start to turn, that's when you get into your second leg of equity market declines. And I wouldn't say that, you know, 30 percent drop from 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 the peak um, is impossible. So the 30 percent we've already gotten in certain parts of the market, right, the Nasdaq specifically down more than 30 percent at this point from from its record highs. If you talk about the broader S&P 500, you're still mentioning the same mega cap names, but it's a broader based measure. How much of this loss, hypothetically, if it can go to 30 percent, hypothetically, will be driven by that mega cap tech trade, which has already been destroyed, but now comes down to some of the more value oriented sectors that have been leading the way, so to speak, I think of oil and gas in particular? Yeah, it's a great question. So what we have seen, as you said, the Nasdaq um, really comprised of those really uh, mega cap names has dropped very, very significantly. But remember, coming into this year, they were also the most overvalued. So the most expensive stocks will inevitably fall the furthest when you have this kind of macro environment. Now, the question of whether or not these companies have um, are almost cheap enough to be attractive. Well, look, there are some names certainly within there which would be attractive. Um, This is the time when already stock pickers start to perform well. Uh, but the overall sentiment of rising interest rates, um, a difficult recovery where demand is falling, especially given that large cap stocks have significant revenue exposure outside of the US. And actually, as weak as the US economy is likely to be, it's other parts of the world, such as Europe, emerging markets, which are likely to have an even tougher time. 
So from that perspective, the large cap stocks are probably still quite challenged, um, even as the year progresses. Now, on the value side, as you said, energy has been the key upward driver for a lot of those markets. Um, and we don't see any of that changing anytime soon. There will certainly be challenges as maybe regulations, tax holidays, um, as you've been discussing, start to come in. But overall, the energy market and commodities are probably on an upward push because of structural um, shortages within that industry. Okay. Uh, a, a tilt for sure towards that energy trade seems to be in place for the good while, at least. Seema Shah, thank you very much. Always great to get your thoughts. We appreciate it. Worldwide Exchange is back after this with a lot more news. Stay tuned. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. CNBC is out with a very, very new documentary out tonight. It's called ExxonMobil at the Crossroads. It's reported by CNBC's own David Faber, and he's going to explore Exxon's efforts to lower its carbon emissions and whether it's really ready for that massive energy transition in the offing. In one of several exclusive interviews, David asks CEO Darren Woods about the rise of electric vehicles and if Exxon's business will take a hit from their wider spread adoption. We did some work very early on. They said, let's just make the assumption that ultimately every car in the world that's sold is electric and that ultimately, I think we got to by 2040, that every vehicle in the world is electric. And so you don't have gasoline cells. And frankly, at the time that we did that, we projected oil demand would be what it was back in 2013, 2014 timeframe. We were a pretty successful business in 2013, 2014. So our, our view was, look, it, it, that, will, that change will come at some pace, but that's not going to make or break this this business or this industry, quite frankly. It seems hard to imagine in a way, Darren, that you can sit here and tell me ExxonMobil is not going to really take a hit, so to speak, from a vast reduction in the use of gasoline on the planet. If you look going forward where the, the demand for oil, what's driving the growth in demand for oil, it's into chemical products, which play a really important role in people's lives today. Of course, oil and gas at the center of so much conversation these days. ExxonMobil at the Crossroads premieres tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern time only right here on CNBC. Some must watch stuff there from David Faber. Some excellent reporting on a key industry right now in a transition phase. Ahead on the show, former Fed Vice Chairman Roger Ferguson is here leading up to Jay Powell's Capitol Hill grilling. That's expected later on this morning. What investors should expect? But first, check on two of these big money movers this morning. First, shares of Lazy Boy. They're popping in the pre-market up about 8%. The furniture maker reporting, quote, record 
quarterly sales for its fiscal fourth quarter, results coming in well above analyst estimates. Plus, we're watching Toyota cutting its global July production plan by 50,000 vehicles, citing what else? Ongoing semiconductor shortages and COVID-19 part supply disruptions. The world's largest car maker by volume expects to produce 800,000 vehicles next month. 800,000, a reduction in capacity for Toyota. We are back after this. The market rebound looking short-lived. Futures pointed to steeper losses at the opening bell, potentially, potentially wiping out most of yesterday's solid gains. The Fed chairman in the hot seat, Jay Powell, going before Congress today to defend the central bank's rate hike strategy and plans to tackle sky-high prices. Former Fed Governor Roger Ferguson is here to weigh in. And the former first couple saying so long, Spotify, and finding a new home for their audio offerings in a mega cap name. It's Wednesday, June 22nd. You were watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan on this Wednesday morning. It's right around just coming up to 5.30 a.m. Eastern time here on the East Coast. Kicking off this half hour with stock futures pointing to a sharply lower open to start the day. You can see the Dow Industrials are off their worst levels of the session, but they're still implied lower by roughly 400 points. The S&P down by 59 and that Nasdaq trade off by about 204 points implied at the opening bell if these futures losses carry into regular cash equities trading. Now, all of this was on a broad based rally yesterday that saw the Dow and the S&P post their best day in more than a month. The Dow surging more than 640 points to close the day off. That's about a 2% gain overall. Now, in the bond markets, yields right now also a key focus, especially with Jay Powell going to Capitol Hill here. Ten-year note yields drifting a little bit lower, 3.22%. The two-year note yield, 3.13% right now as well. Let's also hit on oil prices on news this morning that President Biden will ask Congress to suspend the federal gasoline tax until September. Crude oil prices right now for U.S. benchmark WTI, $104.39. That's down about $5 plus at this point, 4.5% losses. 4% losses for world benchmark ice Brent crude futures, $109.92 right now, off about $4.73. Now, that risk aversion trade is also spreading into cryptocurrency prices. Bitcoin right now still trying to hold that line at $20,000 right now. Bitcoin prices, 20259 That's off roughly 4%. Ether prices, 1081 and change. We are seeing losses there of nearly 5% there. All of the smaller altcoins and tokens taking a bigger hit as well. In Europe, it's red across the board, all over the screen, as the trading day there gets underway, as you are seeing right now. You're also seeing Juliana Tattlebaum because she's got the latest from that European trade. Good morning, Juliana. Dom, thank you so much. Well, that risk aversion that you described in U.S. markets is very much present in Europe as well. It is red across the board. We have bounced off the lows in some of the key markets, but still, as you can see, heavy selling. The German index down 2.1 percent, one of the underperformers this morning. The FTSE MIB also underperforming in Italy, down about 2.5 percent. A little bit more resilience in Switzerland. We are seeing more demand for those defensive stocks over the cyclicals. FTSE 100 down 
down about 1.4%. From a sector perspective, this is what the split looks like. You've got every sector trading in the red with the exception of food and bev. On the downside, basic resources, the most cyclical of the bunch, down 3.8%. Oil and gas down 3.7% in lockstep with the price of oil. Autos also taking a hit down 3.3%. And chemicals down 2.6%. We heard from the German chemicals behemoth, behemoth BASF this morning warning about the second half of the year. That stock is down more than 5%. Finally, fixed income. We are seeing more demand for fixed income markets as investors pull money out of equities. They seem to be putting some of it into bonds. So we've got yields lower across the board in Europe. The 10-year German Bund, 1.67%. 10-year uh, gilt here in the UK, about 2.5%. Dom, we'll hand it back over to you. All right, Juliana Tattlebaum live in London with the latest there. Thank you very much. Now to some of your morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hinao is back with those. Silvana. Hey, Dom. Yeah, so a group of Uber and Lyft drivers are accusing the two companies of price fixing as part of a new antitrust lawsuit. In the suit, which is seeking class action status, the drivers claim that if they were able to offer lower prices to passengers, consumers, they would be provided with, quote, the most competitive compensation. The suit adds that by preventing drivers from doing so, Uber and Lyft harm competition with consumers paying more and drivers earning less. In a statement to Reuters, Uber says the complaint misconstrues both the facts and the law, while Lyft did not provide a comment. Boeing's CEO warning global supply constraints will likely continue until at least the end of next year, speaking at a summit in Doha. Dave Calhoun saying labor shortages at mid- and sub-tier suppliers are an ongoing issue. Calhoun adding demand for freighter jets did not get impacted during the pandemic, and he believes demand for air freight will continue for some time. And Amazon's Audible, audiobook, and podcast platform striking a deal with the Obamas. Audible reaching the exclusive multi-year and global first-look production deal with the former first couple's higher ground media company. The companies didn't provide details on what projects may be in the works, but did say that higher ground material produced under the deal won't be exclusively available on Audible. And Dom, that agreement comes after the Obama's exclusive podcast pact with Spotify, signed in 2019, came to an end. All right. Podcast stars for sure. Thank you very (laughs) much, Silvana Hanel. Now Fed Chairman Jay Powell is set to testify before the Senate Banking Committee at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time this morning. This will be Powell's first appearance on Capitol Hill before lawmakers since initiating the Fed's largest interest rate hike in three decades. A decision that will likely be scrutinized from every angle possible today and then more tomorrow when he goes before the House Financial Services Committee. So joining us now is former Federal Reserve Vice Chairman and Governor Roger Ferguson. He is also a CNBC contributor and former CEO of TIAA. Uh, Roger, good morning. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, We have to get your insights on this, because when you are a Fed official going before Congress, what exactly are you preparing for and how is Jay Powell going to prepare for what could be expected to be a massive grilling from senators this morning? I think uh, Chairman Powell is preparing for two things. First, he's preparing to get his message out. Remember, this always starts with a prepared statement, and so I think he's going to use that to sort of lay uh, his uh, message and be very, very clear. Um, And then, obviously, he's preparing for, as you point out, I think what could be a pretty tense hearing uh, with questions around, you know, inflation, obviously, front and center, the Fed moving very aggressively at its most recent uh, uh, meeting, and uh, though it didn't 
get much notice in public uh, a monetary policy report that suggests uh, perhaps even much more to come, uh, using the word unconditional about his commitment to reduce inflation. So I think he's expecting uh, a pretty tough uh, set of questions, and hopefully I'm sure he'll have the answers that he needs. You've been behind those boardroom doors before. You were an insider there. I I wonder how much more... How much strategizing could the Fed do right now to further tackle this problem? Or do you think the Fed is doing just about all it can? Look, I think the Fed is doing what it can insofar as it only has a couple of tools, three tools, and they're using all of them. First, they've been moving monetary policy, um, as you point out, aggressively and signaling more to come with this notion of unconditional uh, commitment to reducing inflation. Uh, secondly, um, you know, their words are, are, I think, really quite consistent with that message across the board uh, with the notion of, you know, 75 basis points possible for the next couple of meetings. Again, historically high, historically aggressive moves. And then, obviously, they're moving uh, the balance sheet as well. Uh, that third one, uh, people, they approximate roughly the equivalent of a 25 basis point tightening. Um, so I think they're doing, you know, all the things that they can do. The challenge, as Jay Powell points out, is that some of these matters are out of their control. Um, I've been listening to your reports, uh, uh, Boeing, Toyota, others talking about supply chain issues that may last in, well into next year. Obviously, energy prices being driven by global uh, uh, forces. And so I think the challenge is, while they're attempting to do everything they can, uh, as Jay Powell has said and others have, not everything is in their control. And that, I think, creates a very challenging situation for them. Uh, so, so, I mean, Roger, if you look at the way things are shaping up right now, we talk about the types of questions Jay Powell is going to face. It was maybe nine months ago. You and I both know that recessions are inevitable. Economies move in cycles. They expand and they contract. The worry right now has now tilted much more towards a story about a recession in the coming months or perhaps maybe by next year. How exactly then do you square and tell that story to elected lawmakers when you know a recession's coming, but that it might not be the worst thing in the world if it does? Well, I think the way uh, people should talk about it is we see the great pain of inflation. Inflation is a hidden tax on you know, many, many lower-income people, middle-income people. Constituents are complaining about it. The Congress has given the Fed the mandate uh, to keep price stability. And frankly, you know, they've done that because they know during these difficult times uh, that there may be some pain. I think the other thing that Jay Powell will say is he has already talked about, you know, a pretty narrow uh, path towards a so-called soft landing. Um, So he's talked about soft landing, soft-ish landing. He's talked a little bit about pain. So I think he's going to also remind people that he is trying to be very consistent and balanced in his message. Um, I think he's going to attempt to avoid the recession word. But I think you'll hear things such as bumpy, pain, And importantly, you know, this is the price we must pay uh, to get uh, inflation out of the system. And he's also going to say something else, which is, you know, in order to have sustainable job markets, which is the other part of the Fed's mandate, they really have to drive inflation out of the system. So he's going to, I think, link it to, you know, the dual mandate as well. All of that, I think, will be the best he can do. 
none of the lawmakers are likely to embrace this notion uh, of a very, very a slowing economy, maybe tilting into recession. But that's why you have an independent central bank. It's, it's, it's very interesting, of course, that, that balancing act, Roger, that the Fed has to do between a decently strong job market still and a very weak inflation outlook right now. So very, very interesting conversation, I'm sure, in the Senate Banking Committee. Roger, thank you very much. Always great to get your thoughts. We appreciate it. Coming up on the show, ad executives gathering along the French Riviera amid a gloomy forecast, not for the weather, but for spending in their overall sector. Our Julia Borston is there talking with TikTok's Blake Shanley on the social media star's strategy. All of that when Worldwide Exchange comes back after this break. Welcome back to the show. Be sure to tune in to Mad Money tonight as Jim Cramer sits down with Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg in the metaverse. The two talking about Zuckerberg's $10 billion bet on the virtual reality world and his ultimate vision for it. A must watch interview there. That's 6 p.m. Eastern time tonight. Again, Jim Cramer, Mad Money tonight with Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg from the metaverse to France, if that's a transition, ad executives are gathering at the Cannes Lions Festival, talking hurdles facing the business and growing battles between companies for your attention and, of course, your money. Our Julia Borston is live from the French Riviera at the festival with the plum assignment. Julia, over to you. Thanks so much, Dom. That's right. I'm joined now by Blake Chandley. He's TikTok's global head of business solutions. Blake, thanks so much for talking to yeah. us here on this blustery day here at the Can Line <laughs> Festival. A little, a little unusual, but uh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having us. So the big question um, that everyone has been asking here at the Can Line Festival is what is going to happen with the advertising environment? What's your outlook for TikTok's ad growth in light of all of the concerns about potential recession, uh, inflationary concerns for consumers, et cetera? Yeah. Listen, I think we're all here, you know, first, it's the first time we've been together as an industry for three years, right? And so there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot of energy. There's a lot. We're here to celebrate creativity and advertising. Uh, we're here to celebrate creators, uh, influencers, people like that. And so there's, it's generally a really positive environment. Yeah, I think there's uncertainty in the economy um, globally. Different parts of the world have different impacts based on yeah, what we're seeing around energy prices, supply chain, inflation, and so on. Um, and there'll be some categories get affected a little bit differently, but you know, I think generally people are optimistic this week. Uh, from a TikTok perspective, you know, we're we're in this we're in a really fortunate position to be in a maturity cycle where we're just growing. Like we're we're having a great conversations, and you know, it's our second time here. First time was three years ago. And uh, the reception's been amazing from brands and agencies. So there have been reports that TikTok will generate about $12 billion in revenue this year, triple what TikTok brought in last year. Can you weigh in on the company's growth or that kind of revenue projection? So I can't weigh in the revenue, the revenue projection. We're certainly seeing growth, um, and but it's based on our maturity cycle. You know, we're three and a half, four years old as an organization, a business, and you know, we're really fortunate the industry is behind us and investing behind us and spending time understanding how they can leverage our platform to uh, to accomplish their objectives. And what about navigating the Apple operating system changes and some of the other headwinds to targeting that have been challenges for, for your co- other rival companies such as Snap and Meta? 
Yeah, when Apple made the changes, uh, I think the industry had to do a reset and rethink how they thought about data. The good thing about TikTok was, you know, we've, we've already built our solutions. All of our targeting is based on user consent. And so we took a really conservative approach to privacy and how we leverage data. Um, you know, being a newer company, we were able to look back and see what we wanted to be for users and brands. And so it affected us a little bit less than others. But there have been a lot of negative headlines recently about how TikTok uh, and, and TikTok's parent company in China had access to the data of users here in the U.S. and wasn't responsible about shifting where that data was stored. A lot of negative headlines. And I'm wondering how that's impacting your conversation with advertisers. Are they concerned about users' data privacy yeah. as well as issues such as brand safety? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought it up. I mean, user privacy and data is, is number one priority for the company. Um, and we've been really putting a lot of resources against that for years now, right? And, and I saw some of the headlines, and you know, we were looking at those headlines. From, a da- from, a, from an advertiser perspective, you know, the question comes up, and it's been brand safety, user protection, community safety has been the number one conversation for two years now, right? And so we've had a lot of, we spent a lot of time and energy on resources, uh, educating the industry, working with third parties to really give people confidence that, yeah, we're, we're trying to lead in that area. But just last week, there was this other expose by BuzzFeed. There have been headlines in New York Times. Are these issues that are, are raising concerns for advertisers? And, and what do you have to do to make sure that that doesn't end up hampering your growth? Well, we have to deal with everything, right? And so you know, we're, we're progressively moving forward in everything, especially U.S. data um, and European data, but data in general, we have to protect that. Um, TikTok is not based in China. The reality of it is that we store all that data outside of China. And so, you know, some of, the, some of the information there was a little bit misleading, but that's okay. Advertisers ask questions, we give them full transparent answers. And, and, and for the most part, they're comfortable with that. Well, there's so much to discuss here, Blake. We only got started. I hope we'll get a chance to talk to you again about all of TikTok's phenomenal growth. Thanks so much for joining us Appreciate from it. here at the Can Lion. Guys, back over to you. Thanks, all right, Jerry. Julia, thank you very much for that. Blake, thank you as well. On deck for the show, a big bad 2022 for big tech. The steep losses facing some of the sector's top players and just how much money has been wiped away thanks to that market drop. Plus, Jeff Kilberg on why the sector could see a bounce back when we come back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for this month's Sectornomics segment. While yesterday's gains certainly brought the major averages off their lows, there's still a long way to go before they return to start their starting positions for 2022. The S&P is still trading around 20% off the all-time highs we notched during the first week of the year. And the technology sector has been one of the biggest laggards in that time, down more than 25% on a year-to-date basis and almost 30% off its own high back in late December. So how do those percentages translate into total market capitalization losses? Well, the folks over at Ycharts, the market and data analytics firm, took a look and found that the entire S&P has roughly $10 trillion in market cap losses from the January high to its lows just last week. And to get a better understanding of which stocks are leading some of those losses, it's important to remember the S&P, of course, is a market cap weighted index representing the biggest of the big companies on the U.S. exchanges. According to that wide charts data, the largest individual loser is Apple so far. That tech giant has lost around $850 billion in market cap alone from the S&P's high back in January to its low last week. That's equivalent, by the way, to losing like a Visa or an ExxonMobil or a Moderna, all of those combined. 
And as you can see now, that's just a fraction of the losses for the S&P. The top five companies and the top 10 losers account for between three and four trillion dollars worth of market cap losses. And just 25 companies, including Apple, make up well over half of the S&P's market cap losses through the recent market volatility. So as we continue navigating the current environment, the changes in companies' market values amid, and, and those valuations themselves are one of the interesting metrics to watch, especially for some of those tech behemoths. So keep an eye on technology, the most important sector in the S&P. Let's now bring in Jeff Kilberg, Chief Investment Officer over at Sanctuary Wealth, also a CNBC contributor. Uh, Jeff, I just laid out that kind of tech state of play, if you will. Is technology in your mind a buy right now, given those losses? Hey, Dom, to see the reset in valuation technology, specifically to your point, you look at a name like Amazon, look at Meta, I still call it Facebook, and you also talk about Apple, that type of repricing or that kneecapping that they have took in is really interesting because I think if you own them in the proper way, this is the time to own technology. What's the beacon? What's the guiding light in owning sectors? As you know, I'm a big believer in owning sectors revealing strength and staying away from sectors revealing weakness. But what's interesting about technology is it's the 10-year note. The 10-year note has been the the beacon, the guiding light. And sure enough, the 10-year note went from 1.53% to start the year all the way up to 3.49%. It just kissed 3.5%. As we see it come back down, currently trading about 3.21, I think that allows investors to come back into this massive repricing like our friends at White Charts just laid out. So yes, I do like own it, but the, the darling that we own in our Essential 40 portfolio is Palo Alto Networks. I think it would be very specific and own subsectors of technology because you cannot walk away from technology, own it in a prudent, equal way and manner, but you will see this market, specifically in technology, heal as that 10-year note comes back down to 3%, potentially tucks under 3% this fall. All right, so you're talking about Palo Alto Networks. Uh, Let's lay out. I mean, obviously, this is now an environment where there are dislocations, certain underperformers and outperformers within that broader technology trade. I think more broadly of things like cloud computing, cybersecurity, you brought up Palo Alto Networks, financial technology has been absolutely slaughtered from the highs that we've seen recently. So what is that trade? Is it semiconductors? Is it software? Is it cloud? Is it cyber? Is it fintech? There, there are ETFs to play all of those these days. So where do you pick that spot, Jeff? Dom, I think you actually have to embrace this dislocation. We've seen a ton of volatility this year, to your point. We're looking at industrials. We are on a little bit of technology. But look at some of the industrial names. You know, an American Airlines, a Boeing, have been absolutely cream crackered. We've seen names like Delta Airlines, American Airlines, fine finally have the ability to get some legs here. But what's interesting, it's all about earnings coming up. And I know we have earnings in a couple of weeks, but think about the next seven trading days. And this, this process we're in right now, this is a bottoming process. This doesn't feel good, Dom. John Malloy did a great job of pointing out yesterday after a big pop like we had yesterday of 2.5%, typically you see a little bit of the wind come out of that sale. And that's what we're seeing today. But this is a bottoming process. So I think you have to be really prudent. You have to allocate here. It's no time to be afraid talk to a lot of advisors inside my sanctuary network, and they're really embracing this volatility. I know a lot of people are talking about a recession, but I don't see a recession. The One of the most underappreciated components of this whole market, I know we're focused on Fed chairman today and tomorrow, all the rhetoric about rate hikes, but the most underappreciated component of this whole marketplace is that the Fed still has a $9 trillion balance sheet. The quantitative tightening that they're talking about by reducing their balance sheet, it would have been impactful if they would have reduced $47.5 billion back in 2005, 2006, when their balance sheet was only $460 billion. It would have been impactful, Dom, if they would have reduced $47.5 billion 
pre-pandemic when their balance sheet was only $4.6 trillion. But now with a $9 trillion balance sheet, that is the safety net. So this bottoming process we're in, you have to lean into, you have to be sector specific. I also like two names in Oracle and Intel. I know they're down year to date, 21%, 27% respectively. But if you look at the energy sector, if you look at the industrials, you look at the earnings expectations, the bar is so low, Dom. This is the time to wake up, smell the coffee, and start buying some of these really blue chip tangible names. All right, Jeff Kilberg with his shopping list out there, Intel, Palo Alto Networks among them. Jeff, thank you very much. Have a good day, sir. You too, Dom. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Markets right now are going to give up the bulk of the gains that we saw yesterday. The Dow is implied lower by nearly 400 points. The S&P down by 57 and steeper losses for that Nasdaq trade implied lower by 203 points. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.